Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Get 
to you don't you're shy and don't want to actually ask questions that might get you in trouble, you can go ahead and put it down below in the chat area, which is just right underneath the information about the episode. Put it there and I'll go ahead and share it with Jim and get your answer questions, question answered. So, Jim, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in video. Sure. Um, I got started in video. Um, I got started in video actually here in Mesa. I uh, was trying to shoot a documentary about the geek community that was growing at the time in downtown Mesa. Um, it was a it was a really great time. About two years ago, we had the Royale, which was a, uh, a kind of an indie grindhouse movie theater. Um, Gotham City Comics had just opened. Um, it was just a really exciting time. There was a lot of cool things going on, and I decided I wanted to uh, to be a and start documenting sort of what was going on down here and the people that were working really hard to create something really cool. And uh, from that, uh, everything just sort of started spinning and, and, and growing and getting more complicated as I went. And, oh, snowball effect. Yeah, that was uh, definitely snowballed. Um, and then after that, I, I got asked um, by Hong Lee from uh, Geek News Network to uh, help him cover Phoenix Comic Con, which was really cool, but I had never actually done a comic book convention. I had never... Uh, covered any live events or anything like that. I was just a guy making a, a documentary, and um, and so I agreed to do that. But I brought in some people that I knew, and, and from that, the Associated Press was born. Well, that's awesome. Now, you know, what I've always been confused with you is uh, your company name, because I know you just kind of explained the Associated Press and how that got started, but you got a new mutiny. So explain how you how the two work together. Um, I had always envisioned, okay, so um, Geek Associated Press was always the, the name that we used for um, sort of our geek event coverage. Um, I had, I had um, wanted the name New Mini Media as a, as a YouTube channel, essentially. I wanted to have that as my showcase for different documentaries and shorts that I would create and put it on there. So um, New Mini Media sort of became the production company, and it's, it's still there, and it's, it's really what's going to be behind um, what's coming next from, from us now that Geek Associated Press is officially retired. And um, the, the name Geek Associated Press actually came because I kept trying to explain to people the concept of me doing video blogs, but never actually owning a blog. So most people thought that I was a blogger or that I owned a, a you know a blog site or something like that, and, and I never have had an interest in that. It's, it's not even close to anything. It requires way too much work, and I'm way too lazy to, to, to maintain a blog. It's a lot of work. And um, But I, what I did want to do is create video. And so one of the things that, that I came up with at the beginning was I wouldn't, I wouldn't create video just for one website. I would create video that was freely available to any blog that was pop culture related, um, that wanted just to get the word out about something cool that was happening. And so I kept saying, you know, it's kind of like the Associated Press where I'm putting out news reports, but it doesn't belong to any one newspaper or any one blog or any one site. So I kept saying, you know, it's kind of a geek version of the Associated Press. And eventually uh, when I came down to the wire and I had to come up with a name, uh, Geek Associated Press was the name that I got stuck with, and um, and that that's where the name came from. I really like the name. I think that it, it really kind of uh, it says exactly what it is. It's one of those where where it's like, oh yeah, I get it right away. You know, you got got geeks, you got you got associates, and they're all working together in a common goal. Uh, at least that's what it said to me. Yeah, but one of the problems with that is. And, and we're going to start getting into the deep, heavy conversations now about philosophy and stuff. But, um, you know, 
one, nobody could say it. It was always geek-associated. People kept saying geek-associated. It was never geek-associated. There was no A in it. It was just geek-associated. So it was kind of a tongue twister for people to say, and it, was very, it doesn't quite roll off the tongue. And then, um, you know, one of my, my biggest things is, is there are certain phrases and words and things. If, if you put the word geek or new, nerd or pop culture or pop or something, like after a while you're going to run out of so many variables. Like there's, there's so many websites and blogs and things like that that have those catchphrases in them that um, after a while, uh, no matter how good our content was, we were just kind of getting lost in the shuffle of other people that were using the same sort of names um, for their... Uh, for their websites or for their projects, so that's that's part of the reason why I retired it. It was it was we we're just getting buried um, in the confusion with everyone else. Well, yeah, there's got to be a reason why uh, you know those names are used. Of course, they can wind up uh, being able to see it. So uh, I know that you have a better half. <laughs> I think they better half. She probably was thinking, thinking, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely the better half of the two. And Tasha, she she likes to take pictures, and so you wind up doing a lot with with her together. I think that it really works good together because you have pictures and video. Right, and and so that was one of the things was um, when I was making this documentary, um, Tasha's always been super supportive of everything that I do. And um, so she wanted to document within pictures sort of all the work that I was doing, showing all the work that other people were doing. So it became very meta. But um, through that, we started doing events and things like that. And she just started taking pictures of, you know, when we were at conventions or different events. And, um, and you know, by far her pictures uh, have expanded the reach of everything that Geek Associated Press did probably ten times um, more than any video that, that I've put out. Pictures are a much more immediate thing on the Internet. And, uh, you know, one of her pictures will, will get 10,000 hits just from people looking at one picture as opposed to my videos, which which don't get anywhere near those kind of numbers. So she's been a super big part of everything that we do and getting our our name out there. And that's how people really know us is because they see pictures that she's taken more than they've actually seen our videos. Well, we, uh, we have a, somebody who just decided to drop by, Donald Jacques. Obviously, a good friend of mine, and and he, I think he has a question for Jim. You have a question? He just wants to hang out. <laughs> you just want to hang out, Don? Yeah. Not hanging. <laughs> He's hanging. So uh, we we've got just to let you know again, you can call in. Doesn't have to be just us talking. Seven one four two four two four two five one four five would help if I said it right. Seven one four two four two five one four five. We've got a few more minutes left, and we we've got to be able to get a, a couple other things talking. So, uh, you're going to be at Leprechaun, I heard. Right. So, um, with uh, I did Geek Associated Press for you know a little over a year and a half, and uh, it was time to retire it. And um, so for Leprechaun, uh, it was it was a convention that we covered last year, and we all had a lot of fun being there and, and filming it, and and really kind of showing off. Uh, that convention, and particularly what made that convention really special, um, which was something totally different, which is uh, the real intimacy that you can kind of get there and, and really, um, you know, sit down and have a, a glass of wine with Michael Sackpole, which is, like, amazingly cool. Like, especially for a Star Wars geek, that is, like, one of the coolest things ever that you could possibly do is kind of share some thoughts with them. So, anyway, we had such a good time with that. Um, this year, uh, with a new project, which the, the uh, I'll announce it, is uh, the Apocalypse Girls, um, which is sort of what Geek Associated Press is sort of morphing into. 
Um, we're going to be there doing a, um, a panel, and we're going to film it. And uh, we actually want to start becoming part of the conventions that we love so much, uh, as opposed to just kind of passively showing them. So, yeah. So rather than just being media, you're definitely going to be doing a, a panel time, which I happen to know is going to be about 2 o'clock in the afternoon on, on 2 or 2.30 in the afternoon on Saturday. I forgot which one. I think it was 5. Three, is it 3 to 5? I don't know. <laughs> it says we'll definitely have to definitely put that up and let everybody know what time. I was thinking it was two for some reason. I I might be wrong, but we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. It's on the schedule, so anyone can look it up at Lep 39. So is Leprechaun Leprechaun dot org slash Lep L E P 39. So Leprechaun dot org slash LEP39, and that'll get you through to the main page for Leprechaun. Then go under programming and schedule, and we've got already got a, that up uh, weeks ahead of time. It's pretty much a, and that's pretty much done deal. If, if it's not a done deal, I have to kill people. So <laughs> I'm not moving anything anymore on those panels. I mean, I might move people in and out, but I'm not moving panels anymore. So. Schedule is solid, people. Go ahead and take a look at it on Lep 39. Do we say what time? Uh, no. no. Okay. You want to talk about the panel? Sure. Um, the panel that we're doing is uh, Superman's Parents Were Douchebags, uh, Societal Values Reflected in Pop Culture Presented by the Apocalypse Girls and Myself. Well, that's interesting. You're bringing a little bit of the comic book idea with it. Uh, right. Uh, it was just kind of something uh, catchy. It, it, we're not necessarily going to talk just about comic books. We're going to talk about all sort of pop culture and how the things that we like um, reflect societal values. So, you know, in superheroes we have sort of our, our heroic, iconic, um, um, almost Greek god type things in our, in, our, in our, even in our villains we sort of reflect things that we value. Uh, um, you know, vampires like right now are very big and, and, and but they're inherently bad guys but, but we sort of, um, we bring them up and, and I think that, you know, without getting too deep into what we're going to talk about in the con, but that, that's, that's a perfect example of, of how we have something that that we value as a society, as, as Americans, we value the underdog. We almost root for the bad guys sometimes, and it's it's part of our sort of rebellious na rebellious nature. And and we see that in our pop culture by the antihero, by having vampires, by having sort of your Spawn, Wolverine, dark characters like that. And um, those are some of the topics that we're going to talk about. Is like what values are we seeing? Well, Wolverine is a is really technically a good guy, but he's he just doesn't understand himself. Right, yeah, he's he's a very dark and sort of brooding character. I mean, he's he's a very anti-hero, yeah, and and that's and that's uh, again, it's it's reflective of of our society, and and we see that you know on and on. Uh, Firefly, Captain Mal is is you know he's he's a good guy, but you know he's he's uh, almost an anti-hero. Um, he's he sort of rides that line. He's very rebellious, and 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 those are the characters that people really embrace and love. Is is I think characters that reflect us as a society, and we can sort of see them in heroic situations, and, and that's a little bit of what we're going to talk about. Yeah, and, that, and that's interesting that you do talk about, you know, that that things that we grew up with. I know we did a panel before on cartoons, you know, what we grew up with. Um, I was watching Wizards the other night with you. Right, yeah, we just went and saw Wizards, which was a, a really great uh, animated movie by Ralph Bashke that was done uh, in the late 70s, 1977. Yeah, same year as Star Wars. I didn't know that one. And and, and that's, again, a great a great uh, sort of anti-hero. The, the main wizard is just sort of this kind of schleppy, kind of 
old guy, you know. But we sort of root for him the entire time, and, and it's it's a very cool story. Uh, with a trick ending. <laughs> right, with a, with a really cool ending. Uh, Atasha had never seen it before, and we were talking about that. Oh, my God. How yeah. the, the whole movie at the end takes a twist in how you think it's going to end, because uh, it's it's very misleading. It makes you believe that this is how it's going to end, and, and it actually ends up um, ending it in, in a very almost realistic, Shakespearean sort of way. Um that uh, that throws you for a loop if you're not ready for it. And uh, I would call it the Indiana Jones effect. Sort sort of. With, I mean, without giving it away, it's right. it's, it's um yeah, it's very realistic. And and again, it's it's sort of um how we see our heroes and how they react to things. And 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 even though it's kind of shocking, it, you also clap, you also sort of cheer because you're like, oh, this is how it gets resolved. That's so amazing. And and. And it's not necessarily done in a way that's, that's very ethical or, or heroic type fashion. It's just a very abrupt, realistic uh, resolution. And, and I think, you know, kind of tying back into the panel that we're going to do, that that again is one of those many things, again, that we see in our culture, and our pop culture, that, that reflects who we are and, and what we think is, is just or what we think is appropriate um, way of dealing with bad situations. Yeah, that I, it's funny because... Uh, I was telling my son because you know he he's a whole new generation. He used to just turn ni- turning uh, 19, just turned 19, so he had already seen it uh, in his animation class for college. And so he said, "Oh, mom, you're going to go see Wizards?" I said, and so yeah, it's the first time you see it. I said, "Oh no, I I saw that back when it was illegal for me to see it." So <laughs> it was rated R back then, and uh, and and my boyfriend got me stuck in able to see that. So. Uh, Wizards was considered really a body at the time, and a little out there, and they, and it is because there's a lot of violence. But you know, it, in some ways, it's, it's uh, amusing violence in some cases. So uh, he said, uh, "Here we have a whole new generation liking these movies from you know these cartoons from back then." Right. Yeah. And and it's it's almost kind of sad because you know. Um, we don't have that kind of animation anymore. We don't have that sort of edgy counterculture kind of thing. We, we've we've almost kind of surrendered that to to uh, to anime, uh, which is cool. I mean, I, I'm I'm not very shy. I mean, about uh, my opinions on anime. I mean, but we we but I have to give it to them, and, and I respect it in so much that I can say that a lot of the edgier stories, a lot of more um, risk-taking stories in animation are being told by the Japanese, are being told by those companies. They're they're really pushing the envelope of what they can do. You know, I'm not the biggest fan of anime, and, and I've never been shy about that, but I, I, I will say, I've always said this, um, I, I think about 80%, 80, maybe 90% of it is really sort of very disposable and, and just really doesn't amount to a whole lot of anything. But but that 20%, that, that 20, 15%, that cream of the crop stuff, is so amazing and so well done and, and really takes a lot, again, of, of this time I think more in, in a world scale of societal views of our heroes and, and the people we root for and uh, and really exposes them. And, and we just don't have that anymore. We, we, we've sort of given up on, on animation, I mean, even by Disney saying that they're not doing any more animated movies. Even Disney, who you know is uh, like the most you know pasteurized of animation, like they've even given up on, on animation, which is kind of sad because animation I think is, is a really great way of telling a story if done properly. Um, it, it's kind of sad. I hate to kind of keep going back to comic books, but uh, uh, DC Animation Studios really is 
is the only thing that's that's left to tell a cool animated story. Um, and you know, I, I personally love comic books and superheroes. Um, but if you're not really into that, like Tasha isn't really into superheroes, but she really likes animation. But there's no edgy American um, animated stories anymore, and that's kind of sad. Yeah, that that is. Although you know, then I guess next month we're watching uh, Heavy Metal, which is uh, also the same vein, but it's you know a lot more uh, obviously top of the line music oriented musicians back then. Do uh, you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, again. Uh, Heavy Metal is another one of those movies that was very sort of uh, counterculture, you know, late 70s. There was um, there was this whole movement that sort of, you know, it seems like the hippies sort of grew up and then started taking over media and started producing all these really cool things that were out there. And they're very counterculture because it's, it reflected the values that they grew up with, you know, probably as teenagers. And, um, you know, I was just having uh, a drink with some friends after Wizards, and we were talking about how there there is no more counterculture for kids anymore really i mean it's out there and it's, it's sort of different but it's not really as subversive as it was and 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 it's you know it's the stuff that is out there is, is in some ways even more subversive because of the technology that we have now so it's very cool so there's a lot of culture jamming and that kind of thing but but that sort of idea that that very counterculture um wild just pushing the envelope storytelling as, as far as storytelling goes we I, I think we've lost a little bit of that um, don't, don't you think that perhaps it's we've as society been pushing the envelope ourselves that we're now able to watch a lot of I mean you know uh, heavy metal and, and, and for instance Wizards is no longer would never even be considered R-rated anymore right yeah and, and we've pushed the envelope in some respects as far as what's acceptable in society but I think um, that's sort of like damn the man like you know be careful of fascism and, and all these things like like those things are still out there, but they've sort of been, you know, politicized in, in a way, as opposed to being told as, you know, boogeymen for stories. Um, and so I think we've lost that part of it. So um, that sort of subversive fun playing with societal norms, um, we, we don't have anymore. I mean, the only thing we have, the, the only modern kind of counterculture thing I think that we've had in the last 20 years is jackass. Uh, and, and that sounds weird to say, but they really are sort of embody sort of that let's screw with what people think is normal. Let's screw with what society thinks is acceptable and just kind of keep pushing. Like, and Sasha Baron Cohen does that with all of his characters like Borat and, and Bruno and things like that. And it's very subversive, but we have to do it in a comedy way. Like, And, and subversiveness is, is comedic in nature, but um, you know they're very obvious with their comedy with it. Um, I think that sort of serious uh, uh, sneakiness, that, that sort of scary, almost dangerousness of something like Wizards or or um, Church of the Subgenus, we were talking about Church of the Subgenus, like, those things are not sort of a thing anymore, uh, because the internet sort of destroys the mysticism behind it, you know, anybody can look up what Church of the Subgenus is, and they can kind of figure out what, what the deal is with them, um, but but that sort of, um, sort of deadpan, uh, that deadpan, we're going to do something to just counteract what most people think is acceptable or normal. Um, just really isn't there anymore. It's just not really... And that's kind of sad. It's kind of sad that that rebelliousness, that little bit of rebellious, rebelliousness um, isn't there in that form. Yeah, I think they're using it elsewhere, but that's for another discussion. So tell us where to find you and what's what's uh, what you have coming up here that we can find you. Okay, um, so we're on Facebook. So facebook.com uh, slash apocgirls. That's short for Apocalypse Girls. Um, and our website will be up here pretty soon. Um, we're going to be at Leprechaun doing the panel on 
uh, societal norms and, and values. And we're going to also be at PCC doing a panel there um, on what we're doing there. <laughs> panel there that we're going to we're going to do as well, and um, it should be fun. It's it's going to be a new direction that we're going as a media group, as entertainers, as people trying to further the discussion of the importance of pop culture um, in, our, in our society, in our group. So. We really uh, liked having him here. Uh, Jim, Jim Miller is a good friend of ours. We hope, wish him well in his new venture here. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a uh, two-minute break here while we switch over to Jeff, everybody on the line holding. So with that, everyone, hang on, and we'll be right back. On live again, this is Patty Holstrand and KWAD Radio, and we've got our second guest queued and ready to go. Uh, I think I talked a little bit about Jeff. Jeff Perryman is our, our local artist guest for Leprechaun 39, and again, that's uh, May 9th through 12th. And uh, Jeff also made our badge artwork special for uh, Leprechaun 39. Uh, obviously, we're doing a little Leprechaun-ish and got, got a really wonderful, uh, beautiful rainbow in the background so for those who show up and actually be part of our convention you'll get a piece of his art right on your badge and his website is Jeff Perryman that's P-E-R-R-Y-M-A-N dot com I know he's recently updated it so he's got some cool stuff you guys take a look at he's a own brand of humor hey Jeff you there yes I am <laughs> can you hear me <laughs> I, can hear, I can hear you Hopefully you heard my oh, motion there. I let everybody know that, hey, 
You uh, come to Local Pond T-shirt work right in your badge. Well, yes, I did. I had a lot of fun doing that. That was that was a good little project I did for you guys. And thank you for having me on. I am sorry about all our confusion, and I can't be there in person. No, I know. It, you know, and again, uh, I can do this live uh, with with the person here, or I can do it by phone. It, it's either way, it's, it's fine. It works out. And we're glad to have you have you here talking to us today. I did not hear you. What? I said we're glad to have you here today. I well, know it's a little you. loud thank here. You. People are are talking in the background. We are, of course, at a coffee. She's coffee house, and the coffee house is is a little loud today. But we uh, that's okay. It shows that the things are going on. We're, we're somewhere live, <laughs> you know. Oh yeah, it's and, exciting. And, <laughs> and that's the kind of the idea with the new show of uh, Escape Escape the Grind, which is our our new coffee house talk show. That is awesome. I went through and looked through the page, and it looks like an amazing location to be uh, broadcasting from. Yeah, it's nice here. It's nice here. We've we've done we got our book browse going on at the same time. And what a book browse is is that we have our books up for sale. Um, you know, a bunch of different authors and and uh, obviously a couple of different publishers all coming together uh, to put our wares out there and and inform the community about their local authors. That's greatness. That's what we do. I like it. <laughs> I like it. I, I, I you know, what <clears throat> doing what I do, I've been in science fiction fantasy art for so long that I love connecting with the authors and the artists that are out there. And this this sounds like a wonderful opportunity to bring people together into one location and just talk shop and have a yeah, good time. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of, and obviously with the coffee house atmosphere, you get your coffee, you get your tea. I'm not a coffee drinker. So um, <laughs> we, we can just, you know, sit around with a drink and talk about, <clears throat> Things and and it does help to promote because people do like to get to know the author or the artist, don't you think? Yes, I agree. And it's kind of good for us, uh, at least for me as as an artist. I like to be able to meet the people who like my art and try and get a feel for the things that they enjoy and they like to see. And it actually helps me when I'm going down the road creating things. I go, I have a fan base of people who enjoy this. Let's do. Let's kind of play with this and maybe take it a slightly different direction, but I, I know what people enjoy, or at least I have an idea. Well, you've got a mix, you know, and that's one reason that, you know, when I was looking for a local artist, uh, guests, I was looking for someone who who wasn't just all anime, uh, wasn't just all, you know, uh, comic, book, comic book artist, which is okay. Right. But I like uh, somebody who's more of a mix. Well, thank you very much. I, I definitely have a, um, I guess the word would be a style. Um, <laughs> I, I was influenced by uh, Phil Folio many, many, many years ago, and it just kind of went from there. <laughs> there you go. But you've got a, a, a unique look of your characters. How do you well, come you. up with them? Well, um, they all started off uh, back in high school when I was playing D&D, and those are actually my characters uh, and my friends' characters as we were playing in high school back in those days, and they just kind of became part of mine and evolved. And and I like the real simplistic um, the styles. They're just all a bunch of circles and just really simple shapes, and it just was fun because I would, would doodle them in school. Um, the, the comic strip that I do, which is Dungeon Notes, 
actually, uh, I'm a video game developer and I'm a level designer. And so I was sitting in front of my computer one day waiting for a level to compile, and we had just had a conversation about we don't draw anymore, we don't draw anymore, we don't draw anymore, we really should start drawing. And, of course, none of us ever started drawing traditionally. So I'm sitting there, and there's a yellow notepad of paper sitting next to my desk while I'm waiting for this thing to compile. And so I started doing little doodles of my old characters that I hadn't drawn since high school. And I thought it'd be kind of cool to scan those and put them out every Friday, and so that's why they're called Dungeon Notes, because they used to be on notepad paper. <laughs> and I love that Dungeon Notes. You, you got a, a, your own unique brand of humor. Kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, because I, I grew up with some friends who used to do Dungeons & Dragons all the time. Uh-huh. And, and so once in a while they, they would make a joke about, you know, uh, Something sarcastic, like you know, like and those are the little things that you take have taken and put into cartoon format. Thank you very much. Yeah, I, I like to think of the, um, the the cartoon is based on that moment, that mm-hmm. single moment just before something horribly goes wrong, <laughs> or just after something had went horribly wrong. Yeah, and it's yeah. just where all the players put their sarcastic wit, and it's always those really cool, cheesy one-liners just before everything goes completely awry. That's just fun to kind of draw and put into the strip. <laughs> yeah, and I, I know one of them that you had taken from uh, from a couple of movies that I've, that I've seen in the past, and it gave it a whole new twist and, and humor to you know a gaming atmosphere. <laughs> Oh, good. I'm glad you enjoy them as well. <laughs> yeah, I did. Now, are you That's... a gamer yourself? Oh, good grief. I can't do what I do without being a gamer. Um, <laughs> I've been gaming, geez, forever, it seems like. But I've played tabletop. Of course, I play video games because I develop them. I love miniatures. Actually, I'm a huge um, a miniatures uh, gamer. I like playing Warhammer Fantasy Battle. Uh, quite a bit, and so I have, shall we say, a copious collection. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> it's a pain to move if I ever have to move. Let's put it that way. Um, so yes, I am a a die in the wool, you know, gamer from way back, and I love my role play. And uh, you know, I've done tabletop role play, and I've done LARPing role play, which was a unique experience. Uh, for a first-timer, and it's just basically theater with a few hand gestures is the way I looked at it. <laughs> well, I hope not the same hand gestures that uh, we used to come up with in high school. <laughs> oh, hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you, you and I are actually close in age. So you, did you grow up in Mesa or did you grow up somewhere else and, and, and re, re stationed here? Oh, I, I'm a I'm a transplant, um, and I've done a lot of moving through my life, but um, I grew up in Oklahoma for the most part. I uh, started uh-huh. off in Muskogee, Oklahoma, where my father uh, was captain of the police force there, and he's now uh, chief deputy of, of Muskogee County. Uh, I went to high school in Owasso, Oklahoma, which is just out of Tulsa, and then as soon as I could, I escaped and moved out into the real world and have been bouncing around the country ever since. <laughs> so yeah, you've been getting around apparently. Yes, yes, I have. I've been on each coast. Uh, I've gone back to uh, Texas a couple of times, and I've lived the longest in Texas. So I always tell everybody I'm a Texan because I do love my Tex-Mex. I, I will admit it. I'm a huge Tex-Mex fan. <laughs> and 
I'm here now. I originally came out here to work for a company to do uh, Stargate Worlds. Uh, that yeah, was doing yeah. Stargate Worlds. I started off on another project and then ended up on Stargate Worlds. Unfortunately, that never saw the light of day, which is a shame because it was a really beautiful project to work on. Well, I'm looking at your Stargate Resistance. It's oh. right on your, on your website. Tell us about that. Stargate Resistance came out of a need. Um, there was some really bad things that happened at Cheyenne Mountain. Uh, entertainment back in that time period, and I you know we could go on for days about what happened there, but suffice it to say the the funding dried up the the key people who were responsible for that went away, and we were stuck holding a bash and the music we uh, had a really really die hard group of developers it's some of the best team i've ever worked with, and we wanted to do something, so we had the asset we had a few assets laying around for worlds that we had to take and re-engineer. And the other company, I, I worked for a spinoff uh, studio uh, before I worked for Cheyenne, which was a part of Cheyenne, but was doing something different. And we were working on a third-person shooter. So we took what we were doing and we uh, melted it with uh, the assets that we came from Stargate and came up with this really neat uh, third-person shooter and produced that and put that out the door. And it was very, very popular. We were actually surprised at how well it was received because you would have two kinds of fans. You had those fans that just wanted our, our hype because we didn't do the, the MMO. They would say, we want our Stargate Worlds, and they were very dedicated fans. And then there's this other group of fans that loved Stargate Resistance. And, ah. and so we were really surprised at, at the division, but both were popular. Even those who wanted Stargate Worlds ended up loving Resistance. Wow, so that okay. was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun to work on. And it was uh, definitely by, by your seat, you know, hold on, we don't know what's going to happen kind of development cycle. Ah, awesome. And, 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 you know, a lot of people like Stargate, so it's, even though it's out there, still, still loving it, you know. It, it does have an extremely diehard fan base. And, oh, yeah. and I think I think they're going to be around forever. I, I think they're holding their breath because um, developing, I know a lot about the licensing, uh, or at least I've heard a lot about the licensing, and I know that they're shelving that particular IP for the most part. There's a couple of little games popping out here and there that they're letting uh, go, but for the most part they're shelving that IP and they're going to sit on it and kind of wait for the nostalgia. I think they're they're going to brew something up down the road. They don't know what it is yet, but I think they're going to wait and see what kind of brews down the road and then bring back the IP again and reintroduce it to yet a different generation is what I uh -huh. think they're going to do. Well, that usually is what, why, what we wind up doing. Uh, you know, we let something... I think we did with that was quite a few Star You know, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> quite a few science fiction. <laughs> I go on the other that. Quite a few science fiction shows uh, that winds up happening to. I mean, look at Star Trek originally. Oh, good grief! Yes, it's done it how many times now? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, here we we had a very little on television, and it got pulled, yanked, and then before you, and it blossomed up from you know, in the back door and 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 blew up, you know. Um, yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I well I remember. You wouldn't let it go. You said we are the same age. I remember the animated ones coming out when they couldn't get it back on air. They started doing the animated series, and I used to love the different stories because they would bring in all these different authors with different perspectives, 
And yeah, it's like I remember they introduced the Kazenti into the Star Star Trek universe as a result of this animated series, and and it just was just fun to watch as a kid. And it's a shame that they didn't kind of continue that too, because you know I love growing up watching those. Well, you know, I was just talking to uh, Jim Miller about um, our uh, influences when we were young. Right. And you know your influences when you you were young apparently was towards that type of storytelling along with animated characters. Correct. And I, I uh, love yeah. love that. <laughs> and I, love that. Uh, I think that anyone who's loving something in their life now, um, mm-hmm. you know, when they get in their forties, uh, they're just like it's like okay, they wind up uh, showing what they love based on what they grew up with. Um, I, I would have to agree with that. I, I know that I was, again, talking to my son about Wizards. We saw Wizards the other night. Um, he had seen it during the animation class, believe it or not. Uh, oh, in wow, college, cool. In college. Here, uh, the well, college professor chose Wizards to show the kids. That, <laughs> that is a great film. Uh, Bashy, it was beautiful storytelling, and I was listening in on the previous um, interview, and I have to agree with a lot of things he said about the counterculture and a lot about anime. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be popular now, but I have to agree with him about anime. A lot of it is disposable. Uh, It follows a formula for the most part, and we just don't see that quality of storytelling or, or that dedication because all of that was done before computers. You know, there's a lot of what's yeah. called rotoscoping in that film. There's a lot of rotoscoping in that film, and they ended up using that that rotoscoping style in the Lord of the Rings and the Two Towers, or I mean, the Hobbit and the Two Towers that they yes. produced years later. But there was this huge just dedication to that craft, and that's what I love. Is it's just the honing of that craft, and then the style, and getting the character just to kind of pop off the page, even if he wasn't animated. And, and I, I miss that. We don't have that. We have a lot of generic stuff now. Yeah. Uh, even my son was saying that, you know, he feels bad for the generation now because of the sheer crap. This is, how, this is where sheer crap is out there for uh, for the for the kids to watch on, on television. Um, right. Up, it's, it's produced on production schedules. So, unfortunately, it's going to be a little on the generic, too. Well, it's not just that. It has to do with not just the quality, but the storytelling. There really isn't any. Um, no, there really isn't. And you know, he grew up with, uh, you know, with Saint, with, um, shoot, it goes, uh, yeah, I'm blanking out. Um, with, <laughs> with, with, uh, with stories, with cartoons that had a message to him, and right. uh, you know, we're trying to teach the kids something, you know, some value right. in their life. Um, My Little Pony seems to be doing that an awful lot. (laughs) I just recently (laughs) kind of discovered that because I have a lot of friends who who enjoy that. And I'm like, all right, all right, right, let me check it out. And what I ended up doing is is I went out and I found, uh, I do a lot of my artwork uh, just because I enjoy the the, the visual it gives to my my style. It's done in Flash. uh, It's um, Adobe Flash, CS5 Uh is what I'm using right now. And so I went out and I found some uh, resources from My Little Pony and and, and started looking on how they were putting the characters together and how they were animating because that show is done completely in Flash. And so I said, all right, let me check this out. All right, well, this is out of context. So I I turned on Netflix, and I started watching a couple of shows, and I went, oh, I like this 
style of the art, you know, just because it's interesting to me. But the stories are all, you know, moral stories about friendship and, and how to treat people and stuff like that, which is, is good to see, but it's a little, shall we say, over the top sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely not the Smurfs. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, great. I recently <laughs> rediscovered, I, um, I was watching uh, Justice League, and I was enjoying the the kind of the, the, the longer story because the Justice League seemed to do two-part stories all the time, two-part stories, which allowed them to kind of develop it a little bit more. And I was kind of enjoying that. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, great literature, but I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. Let's see what they're going to do with this. And then when Justice League ended, I went, oh, it's only two seasons. Why would that this Justice League Unlimited? Let's see what they did. It's probably a reboot. And what it was, it was just a complete continuation, just in a slightly different story format. So what I enjoyed about the Unlimited was that they would always go back and re- reference what happened in the previous show, which was great mm-hmm. for cognitive resonance. Oh, but yeah. They were little short snippets, and, and they were also trying to, to – uh, do stories of all these different characters because I had so many to pull from. And I was like, oh, this this is interesting, but not quite the storytelling I was looking for. So I agree. The storytelling is just not there. Yeah, I, I just, of course, remembered what it was. He was ta- he liked to watch Arnold. Even in, even now, he's turned, he turned 19. <laughs> hey, I'm Arnold. Sure I'm embarrassing the heck out of him. Yeah, hey, Arnold. And, and it, had, it had the, uh, you know, obviously uh, an urban look to it. Uh, our whole urban story, and yeah. these kids had to, you know, they're they're middle grade. Um, they had to go through everything that we all did, but we saw that you know what they had to do, uh, and the kids now don't get that in stories no, in their cartoons. No, they really. There, there was a really cool period. So, like when Cartoon Network first started up, and it was, it was just like, hey, it's the Hanna Barbera show, and they were just showing Hanna Barbera. Oh but yeah, then they I love started that. putting out. We're looking for, looking for something different, and then we had Dexter's Lab show up. Oh yeah, Dexter's and Lab. And that was oh. fun. And then you would have the Powerpuff Girls show up, which was all about making fun of the very storylines and arcs that we've been talking about. And so there was this little glimpse in there of let's do really silly over-the-top stuff just because we can. And it was kind of fun. I mean, there there was no real substance to the stories, but they were just really fun. And it's everything that we as animators always wanted to do, and they were getting away with it and doing it, and it's just so much fun. And then they came up with Samurai Jack of let's do oh, something that oh, has God, no more than five Jack. minutes of dialogue. <laughs> oh, <laughs> That was a great show. It really was. And it was yeah. and it, there was no more than five minutes of talking throughout the whole show. It was all about the, the, the art style and the action. Oh, yeah, the action. It, it was great. And that was an interesting storytelling, was trying to tell a story without talking. Or, you know, production, you know, every week cartoon needs to go out the door kind of thing. That was a really neat approach. Mm-hmm. And so there there was this resurgence of story. You know, it wasn't really deep, in-depth story like we would expect. No. Um, but it was interesting stuff, nonetheless. Exactly. And, you know, and now, you know, I watch some of the stuff that's out now, and I'm going like, holy crap. <laughs> yeah. Like, what is this? <laughs> what okay, is this? Whatever. Yeah. Am and, I just and, getting old? <laughs> And, and you know, I get tired of watching SpongeBob. You know, honestly, um, my son was having watch SpongeBob all the time, and and uh, and so, you know, I get. I can understand why you know 
the kids start watching SpongeBob because, hey, at least he still has a story. <laughs> well, it's also kind of random, too. It is extremely on the random side. Um, I worked on a SpongeBob game many years ago. Ah, yes. And uh, so we had to watch all the episodes as a result because we had to recreate Bikini <laughs> Bottom and, and do all these different areas. I worked on uh, Goo Lagoon for a while, and I worked on Inside of SpongeBob's house. and Just all these really – I even had to build the Inside of SpongeBob's head so that he could play a puzzle in his mind in there. Oh, and, wow. Uh, it's, yeah, it was an interesting um, – character to work with. One of one of the only really major horror stories I have for, for working on that game is that we do something called a soap test. And uh, we were very fortunate. We got all the original vocal actors for the game. And so that was awesome. So we had all the original stuff for the game. And uh, what's called a soap test is you turn on the machine and you leave it on for like three or four days. And you can't turn the volume down because you got to hear the sound you know, causes a glitch. And it's basically to see if there's a memory leak and something to eat up the memory and, you know, so if it's on to see if it would cause it to crash. Well, unfortunately, we decided to do this in our office, and every couple of minutes, a character has what's called an idle animation. They're going to do something. Oh, well, yeah. for some reason, the only idle animation we had was SpongeBob laughing. So oh, every no. 30 seconds, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Like, oh, can we turn it off, please? No, we've got to move it on so we can see if it crashes. I'm going to kill something if you don't turn this off soon. So three days of listening to SpongeBob laugh is kind of the only horror story I had from that production. But, yeah. oh, well. That would be totally irritating. <laughs> so so here's your question about SpongeBob. I think probably okay. as, an author, as an author, I could never get away with having uh, doing something they do underwater. Um. But then they turn around and have the squirrel who has to have her own her own helmet, um, right? Because in, in her own dome world underneath the water, so they follow certain rules. But then then they really just flip it around and and they can do things uh, in uh, underwater that's like that's not possible. Such as fire, <laughs> they they will do campfires or they'll do yes, torches exactly. or stuff like that. And it, it's their own little world. Uh, suspension is just a uh, Hi, I'm a cartoonist. I'm going to do random stuff now. Hang on. So, yeah, that's that's pretty much what that show's about. And it's and it's kind of like whenever I, I, I'm D&Ding, that's what I think one of the reasons I liked the show when I was watching it and developing for the game was they will do what it takes to get the laugh. This is for the laugh. <clears throat> and this is a random, random thing. If, you know, of course, torches and water is silly. And you almost forget they're underwater sometimes until Sandy pokes a hole in her suit and she about drowns or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, and you're like okay, under, or, or there's they special go into underwater the fire. They go into the dome and they start they start skating because there's they, yeah. air and not water, not water there. Right. They have to wear uh, those fish bowls on their head, which is, which yeah. is hysterical. <laughs> or my favorite is when they had to prove how, how, how manly they were and they were going to go out to the water. And so as soon as they come out of the water, it goes to real-life footage of somebody with a sponge on a stick bouncing it yeah. up and down. Oh, hey, this is not so bad. And they have a real crab come up there. And I always thought that kind of stuff was hysterical. <laughs> the, the show turned out to be a lot better than I thought it was. When I thought, a square sponge, oh, gee. And I just immediately thought of the traditional Nickelodeon formula. I thought, this is going to be retarded, you know. But, no, it actually turned out a little more interesting than I thought it was going to be. Well, that's awesome. And, you know, again, it's good, clean fun, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, that's that's the whole point about it. And I think that's one of the reasons that it has endeared is it's got a good fan base, obviously. 
I think it, the randomness appeals to adults, and that's that's the key for some of these shows that have endured. Is they're not just children's shows; there's something mm-hmm. for the adult. It yeah. doesn't have to be adult humor, but it can be something that the adults can go like, "Hey, fire in the water, really seriously? Okay, whatever." And 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 it appeals like when the Powerpuff Girls were really really popular. I cannot tell you how many Marines. Big burly Marines I knew that were fans of the Girls. They were proud of it. <laughs> well, you know, I make fun of uh, him because of because of the uh, like of the uh, you know the uh, SpongeBob. But you know, um, I can sit there and, and and he'll have it on and he'll go up. You know, he went off into his room and then uh, I still put on because honestly, it's like it's like good noise. I, <laughs> I already know yeah. the storyline. I don't necessarily have to watch it, but I can have it in the background as, because I, I work with, you know, some something going on. Uh, and if the, the TV has SpongeBob on, why not? It's just real easy to get right. into. Yeah, so, it is. I, I, and I it's silly like that. So what's next for you? Oh, good grief. Um, well, I'm uh, currently sitting here pumping out artwork left, right, and center. I am working on uh, getting enough of my Dungeon Notes uh, drawn so that I can publish a coffee table uh, version of a book. Awesome. Uh, So I'm hoping to have that done within the next year or so. So we're going to work on publishing a book. Maybe I can be down there and they can meet the author. Yay! Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm working on um, launching my own personal studio, which is called Chain Reaction Studios. And with that right now, I'm just doing uh, more art prints and just, you know, traditional kind of, of, of art in my style. So I've started off doing a deck of cards uh, quite by accident. I was going to do dragons, right. and I had this, this Suicide King stuck in my head, and I thought, how oh, did that out of my system? And I tossed it out there, and people enjoyed it, and then said, we want a whole deck of cards. And I went, okay, crap, I've got to draw more. So I'm off drawing all these different suits now. I just finished the spades, and I'm working on the clubs. And hopefully by next Comic-Con, I will uh, have a whole deck of cards. But for Leprechaun, I'm going to be showing for the first time these spades. Oh, awesome. And no one no one else will have access to these. So this will I be love this fun to do that. <laughs> so everyone's here first. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Well, just for Leprechaun. <laughs> No one else is ever going to see these. I have printed up just a very small run of the Leprechaun character, and those are going to be available hopefully through your print uh, table. Yes, we're going to have so, a yay. we have our we have our book table uh, run by wonderful Bob Nelson of Brick K Media, and uh, oh. he's a Mesa vendor, so that keeps us out of trouble. <laughs> That'll be awesome. That'll be awesome. But, and, yes. and then. Per- and then currently, at, outside of these artistic endeavors, uh, I'm working with a startup company to start doing some iOS game platform development again. Awesome. So well, we're, we're looking forward to it. I know, noticed you did some updates on your website, and, and we're always happy to see new stuff from you. Oh, thank you. Yes, um, everything I used to do, like I said, is in Flash, and Flash is no longer going to be supported uh, via mobile. Yeah. I've got to teach myself HTML5 now. Yay. Yeah. So this is my crude attempt at putting something up that's not Flash Bay. So there's still some work going on in there. So come by often and check for updates. Ah, uh-huh. there you go. So everyone, uh, he is at jeffperryman.com. 
You're also on Facebook. Uh, where at? Uh, well, you can get a hold of my Dungeon Notes uh, via facebook.com slash Dungeon Notes, and uh, you can also do the same for Chain Reaction Studios. Uh, also, I'm just Bill Perryman on Facebook. I'm, I'm certain. <laughs> <laughs> I'm around there somewhere, I'm certain. There we go. But, or you can always Google uh, him. It's real easy to spell his name. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's one of the things I've got going on with Dungeon Notes. Is, is when I reach 500 likes, I'm going to publish that book. Right. So get in there and Spread the word and like the page. There we go. Spread the word and start getting buzz going. That's right. So with that, I got to hand over my uh, my com to to uh, people that are behind me and and the thing that I ran over time. So hey. Oh no. Thanks so much for yeah. you. I know. I know they're going like hey. That's like that's like two minutes. So uh, I just wanted to say goodbye to you, Jeff. Thanks. And, of course, I'm going to see you in a week and a half. That's right. And thank you for having me. You're welcome. I can't wait to get together and and have fun at Leprechaun this year. This is going to be so much fun. Oh, yeah, definitely. We're going to have a blast. Excellent. Well, nice talking to you, and I will see you there. Bye-bye. Bye. That was Jeff Perryman. And we are going to take a brief break here. Uh, we are going to 2.30, I think, that we, um, we're going to go ahead and have the other show come on. You know, I'll probably just go ahead and log out, but right, for right now we're going to put a hold on and see how fast we can set up for the next show. It won't be uh, as our show, but it'll be something that we can tape from, from the show that we have coming up. So with that, this is Patty Holstrand, and this is KWAD Radio signing out. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.